Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm pumped up to have one of our surprise guests this week, Ronika Carter. Ronika and I recorded this interview back in September, and we're finally able to fit it into our schedule. So here's a quick bio just to bring you up to speed. Ronika is an attorney serving as corporate counsel to a multi-billion dollar international law firm. She travels the country speaking on sports and entertainment law, intellectual property, and smart contracts. Ronika Carter attended the University of Virginia School of Law, where she served as the editor-in-chief of the Virginia Sports and Entertainment Law Journal. Ronika also attended the University of Florida for undergrad, where she gained invaluable experience by completing an internship at a regional sports television network and providing service to several departments at UF, uh, including their compliance department. So in this conversation, we cover a lot of different things, not just applicable to those who are fans of law or sports and entertainment, but anyone who's working through this pandemic and trying to figure out how to optimize their business amidst a quarantine. So without further ado, let's welcome Ronika Carter. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. So how's uh, your summer been? I know that this has been certainly one for the ages. It certainly has been. I feel like um, it's definitely been a challenge to adjust to the new way of doing things, to the new way of keeping in touch, to the new way of just feeling engaged with your colleagues and your family and your friends, you know, not to mention staying on top of work. But I'm appreciative of, you know, just having the opportunities that I have and to have the kind of flexibility that I've had to be able to work from home and to do so safely. Yeah, certainly. That's what I've told so many people. I'm like, could you have imagined if this happened just 20 or 30 years ago, you know, without the technology that we have today? Uh, I, I don't know what we would do. It would have been a tough one. I agree. I don't know if I would have been able to handle it well. So I'm counting my <laughs> blessings. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. And so how has it affected, you know, your business? Are you, do you do a lot that's interpersonal or ever out in like the actual courts or is most of it been virtual even pre-pandemic? 100% virtual pre-pandemic. And so that's a blessing. And so that actually hasn't um, been an issue for me at all. Okay, good, good. And so what are, what are you up to nowadays? I know when we just kind of introduced, you know, some of your background, um, and I assume you, you started in Florida and then did you go directly into law or were you in the business world before you decided to pursue this current career? I went directly into law. Um, so as you mentioned, I attended UVA law. So right after graduation, I returned to Florida and then went directly into practice. But since then, I've been just working on developing skills and fine tuning my business concept and just kind of pursuing all of those passions. Gotcha. Got it. And then I know we talked a lot about sports, you know, before we hopped on the uh, phone today. So was that always just a passion of yours? I mean, did you grow up an athlete or how did you kind of merge the profession also with, you know, a passion for sports? That's a great question. It really has always been a passion of mine. I just remember even in childhood being completely mesmerized by my favorite sports and my favorite athletes. And growing up, I played a lot of sports, mostly for fun, some competitively, but I just knew that it was something that genuinely made me happy. And if there was a way that I could turn that into a career, I wanted to. And so that's where it came from, just loving it my whole life and just hoping that I can continue 
you know, pursuing that interest for as long as I can. Okay. And who were those favorite sports and athletes when you were growing up? I have a few. So definitely love basketball. I'm a diehard Orlando Magic fan. Win or lose, I love them. Um, I grew up okay. watching boxing. <laughs> Roy Jones Jr. was my favorite um, fighter growing up. And I have a pair of his autographed gloves, which I will be wearing when I watch him fight Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I also grew up, I played tennis for a while. I swam. I love fishing. I've been fishing since I was in a stroller. Um, just so many sports that I enjoyed. And then as I got older, I picked up golf and you know, I'm not great yet, but I'm confident that one day it will happen. So I'm just optimistic that one day I'll be a better golfer. But in the meantime, I'm just having fun. Yep. Yeah, I think golf is kind of like a fun form of torture where it's you get addicted <laughs> to it. You have that one good shot that keeps you coming back. And the rest of the time, it could just drive you crazy. Absolutely. But it's that one, though, that I'm holding out hope for. <laughs> yep. Yep. You, me, and I think everybody else. So what do you... <laughs> What do you think about, um, it's funny you brought up Roy Jones Jr. Cause I was actually just listening to an interview the other day with Mike Tyson about this big comeback. And for those of you who aren't aware, you know, both of them are coming out of retirement for what could be kind of like a friendly exhibition, but is getting quite a bit of hype. And I believe it's in November of this year that they'll be uh, squaring off. And you're seeing more and more of this of like, you know, some older athletes, older fighters that are giving it another crack, whether it's for monetary reasons or maybe they just miss the sport. Do you see more of that? Is that like the beginning of a new trend or what's your take on that? That's a really good question. You know, I'm not sure of whether this is going to be a new trend, but I kind of get the sense that it's a mixture of a lot of things you mentioned. I think it's a mixture of the athletes just loving their sport and wanting a chance to compete again. Um, I think it's also just kind of a way to keep fans engaged during this really difficult time. Um, I think it's, you know, there's definitely part of it being a monetary incentive as well. And so, you know, only time will tell if this is a new trend. But either way, as a fan, I have to admit, I'm really excited and I'm appreciative and I'll definitely be watching and definitely be supporting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's inspiring, you know, to see these guys like, I mean, Tyson was at one point, I think over 300 pounds. And now you see these mm -hmm. videos that are popping up on YouTube and whatnot, where he just looks like a machine and uh, made yep. such a quick comeback. It's pretty cool. And so um, in, in line with the whole sports thing, I know when a lot of people hear attorney in sports, I think they immediately think of a sports agent. So is, do you operate in that capacity at all? Or is there another element or sector of law that, that you focus on? You know, I think that's another great question. And I personally am not um, an agent, but I think the term in, of sports law encompasses so many different practices and so many different disciplines that, you know, it's really difficult to kind of narrow it down into one thing. So for me personally, I focus on contract drafting, negotiation, analysis. I focus on business consulting. Um, but there are some people who focus purely on academics. And so they teach sports law. There are some that focus on, like you mentioned, you know, becoming an agent. There are others who are purely advisors. And some focus on financial aspects for um, financial planning and wellness to, you know, insurance and liability coverage or what have you. And so it's a really broad uh, discipline, if you will. But, my, but from my personal standpoint, no, I'm not an agent. Okay. 
So who are, like, who do you interact with? Are you working with the athletes at all? Or are you working more on the, uh, like with the, the broadcasting, like with the, the, you know, TV contracts, or if you could just clue us into a little bit of what your day-to-day looks like. Sure. And so my business is in the process of expanding. So that's exciting. Um, but in the past I've worked with sport management agencies. I've worked with, um, aspiring athletes or former athletes. I've worked with um, event promoters or what have you for the entertainment aspect. So it's a little bit of a mix and then also a great deal of um, academia. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So is this like what the athletes pursue outside of like their actual profession, like with endorsements and sponsorships and things of that nature? Correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And it seems oftentimes that there's more money in that than there is the actual sport that they play in. There really is. And there's also just a great deal of considerations that aren't always evident, you know, from the sport itself. And to me, that's what's most fascinating about sports law in general. It's not, you know, limited to just the contests themselves or just, you know, representing a client as an agent. There are just so many other considerations and so many other ways for people to get involved. That's pretty cool. And if you don't mind me asking, and I don't know if, if you can disclose this, but which side are, are you working on? Are you working with the companies that are using these athletes to market? Or are you more representing the athletes that are uh, trying to team up with some of these companies and whatnot? So thus far, it's been mostly the companies. Okay. But that could change in the near future. <laughs> okay. All right. Good for you. Very cool. And I just wanted to ask you too, I know that you have a, a sports law vlog. Um, can you just explain what exactly that is? I, I mean, I know I've heard of it, but for some of those uh, listeners who may not be familiar, and what was the whole idea behind that? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, so my blog is called Piercing the Playbook. And my vision for the blog is just to give me a forum to discuss some of the deeper legal and business implications that stem from sports. And I noticed in law school when I was serving on the sports and entertainment law journal that I had an interest for and a passion for analyzing and discussing considerations that aren't readily available or readily evident rather from the contests themselves. And so I wanted to just have a a forum and a platform where I could continue to pursue that interest and kind of talk about those issues that are underneath the surface, but are just as important, in my opinion, as the contests themselves. Okay. And now what exactly is a, a vlog? Like, I, th- I think people are probably hearing blog, but this is vlog with a V. Um, what exactly is that? How do you utilize it? Oh, um, my apologies. Yes, it's a, it's a video blog. And so instead of writing posts, and um, posting articles online. I record video segments where I talk about an, an issue at the intersection of sports and the law. And so sometimes it's, you know, an IP issue, you know, sometimes it's, you know, something that was just current in the news and I wanted to discuss it, but I'll record a video segment, you know, normally not more than four or five minutes or so just discussing the issue. And I post it on Instagram and then also on LinkedIn page. So um, my Instagram handle is piercing underscore the underscore playbook. And um, you can also find it on my Instagram or on my LinkedIn page at Renega J. Carter Esquire. Okay, very cool. And have you found that to be successful as far as, uh, I guess, marketing your brand and, and a lot of the things that you speak to? It has been. And uh, the only criticism that I've heard thus far is that I'm not posting often enough. And I'm working <laughs> on that. And so, <laughs> 
had quite a few people reach out and ask about the next installment or why I'm not posting as often as enough, and they're right. And so I'm working on now just having a schedule where I'm posting more regularly. But yes, it has been successful. Okay, very cool. Yeah, there's just so many different ways to kind of get your content out there now. Um, so that's, I'll have to check that out. I mean, I do a number of my podcast episodes, but they're a little bit lengthier where we do film them typically like 30 minutes or so. Uh, but I think that four minute snippet, you know, is definitely suitable for a lot of people's uh, attention spans to digest that information. So Absolutely. That's, that's interesting. And one of the things I really wanted to ask about too, because we are in such a, a strange time right now. So given your knowledge of, you know, the whole sports industry and even the practice of law, how would you summarize the impact that COVID-19 has had on the sports industry? You know, truthfully, I don't think the entire impact will be ascertainable anytime soon. Um, but I do think some of the more notable impacts um, pertain to decreased revenue because generally speaking, you know, sports leagues and franchises have three primary sources of revenue. They have your game day revenue, your media rights, and sponsorship and licensing deals and things like that. So with the widespread stoppage of play, I think, you know, undoubtedly there are deep financial implications for all of these revenue sources. And even as play has begun to resume in some leagues, I'm still fairly confident that, you know, the financial implications will be far reaching. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I, I think you'll probably see the most severe one right now in uh, college football. And oh. I mean, that's right there. That's a multi-billion dollar business. And I, I could not believe that they kind of came right out and said, you know, the season's canceled, um, you know, at least with the Big Ten and, and some of these major conferences. So what's, I mean, it, not to get your opinion, you know, unless you're okay sharing it, because I know a lot of people have different schools of thought on this whole COVID thing. Um, but what, what's your take on that, if you don't mind? Whew, that's a tough one. Um, and, you know, I kind of see both sides of the coin. I'm a proud double gator in single Wahoo. So college football is a really big part of my life. Um, you know, on the other end of the coin, though, I'm also a human being and I have compassion. And I understand that there are you know, millions of people around the world who are getting sick and who are losing loved ones. And it's a novel virus, and our medical experts are doing the absolute best that they can to teach us how to be safe. You know, and so from that respect, I can appreciate the efforts, um, and I think that people are doing what they think is best for the public and for what's most important, and that's just, you know, human life and keeping people safe. You know, on the other hand, I am a little disappointed, but, you know, I, it's not disappointed to the point where, you know, I'm angry or um, combative. It's just, you know, disappointment from the, the standpoint of being a fan and not being able to watch some of my favorite sports. So I said all that sure. to say um, that I, I understand and to an extent I agree with the decision making, but it's nonetheless disappointing. Yeah, definitely. And I think with something like that, I mean, not only is it this multi-billion dollar business that will, you know, take a major, major hit, but you're talking about kids that have poured their life's work and, and so much time and hours and effort into getting to where they're at. And just to have it kind of taken away from them, that opportunity, uh, you know, a lot of them won't get a, a second chance. And, you know, that this could have been their out, you know, to get into a better life. And um, it's a shame to see that there for, you know, what, what largely, at least what we've seen from the data so far, hasn't really impacted uh, youth in, in such a negative way. Um, 
yet they're going to feel a very negative impact just because of this type of quarantine that we're living through. So it's a, it's a tough one. It is, you know, but I do, you know, it's, it's a tough issue and I do understand the implications. I just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, to me, what's most important is just, you know, keeping people safe. And I'm hoping that we can find a resolution that, you know, is a happy medium for everyone. But at this point, I think, you know, they're just doing what they think is best and the best they know how to do. Sure. Sure. It seems like the NBA is probably the one that's done it best with, with having the bubble and they've had a pretty, you know, strong continuity of, of games in their season thus far. Uh, where I know baseball, you know, they've already had several postponements and rescheduling of games. You know, I'm a big New York Mets fan. I know that they had to miss some games when a couple guys got COVID. Um, so they're working around it, but it looks like basketball and hockey have been the, the two that I've had the most success so far. I agree. So. And I think the NBA bubble is just like a great example with the regular testing, the social distancing, you know, isolation and no fans. Um, but I do think that I guess the biggest question moving forward is just how they can continue to keep fans engaged, you know, both from just a supportive standpoint, but also, you know, a monetary support standpoint. And that's, that's something that I've been thinking about for a while, but I'm not quite sure what the answer is. Yeah. And so how is, you know, the sports industry adapting to some of these challenges uh, that, that COVID has thrown us? Well, I think you touched upon a great one with like the NBA and how it's resuming its season in the bubble. Um, and I think, you know, as you mentioned, a few other leagues are either canceling or postponing games or just finding ways to keep fans safe. I know in the NFL, for example, it just depends on the team. With some teams, they're planning to ban fan attendance for the first couple of games, and we'll see how that goes. For other teams, like the Dolphins, for example, they're planning to um, limit capacity in the stadium to to I think about 20% and then they're requiring fans to wear masks and they're requiring like socially distanced clusters or what have you. So I think the leagues are doing the best that they can because this is an evolving situation and we're just kind of learning as we go along. Um, but, you know, at this point, I feel like whatever the new norm looks like, it's just going to require all of us to have a great deal of patience and, you know, adaptability moving forward. Yeah, certainly. And honestly, I've been surprised by just the public at large has been, for the most part, it seems, you know, very compliant with all of these restrictions, you know, both on the personal life and then on their businesses, you know, for small business owners out there. And just all the way down to, you know, the kids, at least our kids just started school today and every single one of them has to wear a mask. And, um, you know, to tell thousands of kids in a school district, hey, everyone, you keep your mask on that's a tall order for, uh, for teachers to try and enforce. So um, I think that it's, you know, people have been compliant thus far, but I think you ultimately hit a tipping point uh, where people will begin to slowly break out onto kind of doing what they want and what they think is best. And I just wonder how long we can uh, keep this, not full quarantine, but kind of semi quarantine that we're living in right now. Um, and hopefully eventually everything improves, but I'd hate to see the whole country go on that type of lockdown that we experienced in the spring again. Uh, but we'll mm -hmm. have to, I suppose, just wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I know you touch on a lot of different issues about media rights, sponsorships, uh, contractual implications. 
Are there any uh, considerations or questions within that realm that you think stand out more than the other? I think there are probably a couple, but for me as a bit of a contract nerd, um, the force majeure clauses in many of those agreements really stand out. And I think for those who don't know, um, a force majeure clause is just a clause in an agreement that allows for non-performance for reasons that are out of the control of the non-performing party. And I don't think you know, anyone would reasonably argue that a global pandemic was within the control of any non-performing party here. And so, you know, unfortunately, because a lot of these issues are resolved behind closed doors, there just isn't a great deal of case law or, you know, analyses available to the public. But I do think that force major clauses will be a hot button topic, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay. And what exactly is that? If you can kind of in, in plain English, tell, tell everybody what a force merger clause, clause is. Sure. So if, so say if you and I enter into an agreement and, you know, we include this language that says, if for whatever reason I can't hold up my end of the bargain, um, I can be excused from performance. And the whatever the reason part is the key because it says that the reason has to be out of my control. And so oftentimes you'll see things like a global pandemic now, you know, especially this year, it could be a fire, it could be a riot, it could be an act of government, it could be an act of God, it could be a number of different things that I can't reasonably control. But this clause says that if one of those things happens and it causes me to be unable to perform my end of the bargain, I'm quote unquote excused from performing. And there are a couple of stipulations in these these clauses, you know, vary depending on who's drafting, um, depending on the industry and a number of different things. But I think the general gist is if I can't perform for a reason out of my control, the non-performance is excused. Okay. So in, in the practical sense, I mean, would that be an athlete that has a contract that says I'm no longer playing because of the coronavirus? That has been um, a hot button topic recently. Um, it, it could depend oftentimes on how the language of the agreement is drafted. Some are more broad and some are much more um, restrictive. It could also be um, like a, a league who has, you know, media or television contracts that say they're supposed to provide X number of games and now they're no longer able to do so. It could be a vendor within a stadium who's supposed to provide, you know, X dollars in revenue back to the, the team or the, the stadium owner who's no longer able to do so because, you know, the games aren't being held. It could be, you know, the security team at the stadiums or the arenas or what have you. So there are a, a ton of different contractual implications there, but really it just says I can't perform and it's not my fault. Okay. And then what would, if we do have that clause in there, what, what is the outcome of that? I mean, does that just forgive the performing party? Um, but I assume then, you know, whether it's a vendor an athlete or the security team that then they just don't get paid by the other party. Correct. Correct. And again, it's going to vary just depending on how the clause was drafted. Sometimes, you know, it allows the party who was performing to go ahead and cancel the agreement um, sometimes it allows them to require performance once it's practicable. Um, sometimes there could be just a payout. I mean, it just depends on how it was drafted. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, uh, I imagine this has all got to be very new uncharted territory uh, for a lot of the attorneys involved in all this because 
I can't remember ever seeing anything like this that had such a long-standing uh, impact on every aspect of the economy uh, as this type of shutdown did here in 2020. Absolutely, I agree. And I apologize for the background noise. My neighbor's dog is barking. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, you're, you're fine. <laughs> it's the beauty of the, uh, the world on Zoom that we all live in today uh, with these webinars and <laughs> Skype meetings and whatnot. So what's, um, what's maybe been like the most surprising thing that you've seen since, you know, COVID came and just pretty much canceled sports as we know it? Um, any kind of big takeaways that you've had? For me, the most surprising thing was just hearing that the Olympic Games were being postponed and that the NBA season was being postponed. I felt like when I heard that news, it was kind of that punch in the gut experience that I needed to show me that I grossly underestimated the impact of COVID. Um, I think at the beginning of the year when I began learning about the virus, you know, I took it seriously and I appreciated it, but I don't think I could have appreciated the impact without seeing those things happen. And just, I just couldn't fathom at the beginning of the year, hearing that the Olympic Games were being postponed or that the NBA season was being postponed. So those were probably the two big ones that stood out the most. Okay. Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, I mean, pretty crazy when you read that headline. Yeah. So <laughs> when we talk about your business and your, your peers and your colleagues, I know that everything that you do has been able to conduct itself, you know, virtually. But has the business itself kind of come to a standstill? I mean, what's, um, what's going on? Like, what, what is your team? What, what are you guys, uh, you know, servicing or, or marketing yourselves to right now uh, or throughout the summer when sports pretty much got put on the back burner? Well, the great part about my business is that, you know, although sports entertainment is my passion, I also do a great deal of IP work and general business strategy. So from filing those trademark registrations and um, document renewals to um, helping someone determine, you know, what type of entity structure they're looking for from general contract drafting and negotiation and analysis, like there's a fallback. And so I think it's really important to, you know, try to build out a business concept that pursues your passion, but then also, you know, has a fallback in the event of something unexpected like this. Okay. So you kind of pivoted back to some of the basics or some of what you used to do? Correct. Yes. Got it. Got it. Very cool. And then when do you think you'll be able to get back full swing to sports or is, is everybody just in a holding pattern right now? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, my hope is before the end of the year, uh, but I guess only time will tell. And that's just yeah. my hope. Gotcha. And for some of our listeners out there that, that want to emulate some of your success and, and get into the sports world, which I know it seems like every high school kid out there probably has some dream of getting to have a profession that's in sports, which everybody gets so fanatical about. Uh, how do you do it? I mean, is there a certain niche that you had or a couple of contacts that you had that you're able to leverage or where exactly did you go from law school to now being in sports and entertainment? That's a really good question. And anytime a student reaches out to me, I try to leave them all with the same little nugget of wisdom in that they should be stubborn about their goals, but flexible about the means to achieve them. And for me, I just knew like sports were a passion of mine. And so when I was still in school, I took advantage of every opportunity I could to intern, to volunteer, to just, you know, meet people and network and gain skills and things that I could add to my resume. 
And then, you know, when I started working full time, I looked for opportunities to join law firms where sports and entertainment were one of their practice areas and I could gain exposure and keep building and then work on my own business concept. And so the path is different for everyone and there's no right or wrong way to pursue it. Um, I just think as long as they keep an open mind and they just remain steadfast about that goal and just focus on the skills that they're developing now, they'll find their path. They'll find their niche. Okay. Got it. And did you have like a favorite internship or anything that gave you that, that bump? Like where was the turning point for you? I had a couple of favorites. I'd say um, interning at the University of Florida Athletic Association was a big one for me. And then also um, I interned with Fox Sports Florida when I was an undergrad. And, you know, as a lifelong Magic fan and as a Gator student, getting a chance to work with the production team at this, these events was just like a dream come true for me. And that was a turning point that for me, it felt like even though I was still an undergrad, I was still a student and I hadn't begun to work yet. And, you know, I still had other academic goals ahead of me, I just felt like I was arriving and I was making, you know, my mark and finding my niche. Gotcha. When were you at UF? What time frame was From that? From 2006 to 2010. Okay. So is that around the Tim Tebow era? I don't recall what years oh, that yeah. was. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. I'm a really big Tebow fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. And that's when, yeah, Florida was at the front of everything, both with basketball and football. It was a great time to be a student there, um, primarily sure. because uh, the, the tickets were discounted so I could go to a lot of the games <laughs> for students. Um, and just being a sport fan and being a sport management major at UF at that time was just, I think, an experience I'll never forget. And they were definitely some of the best years of my life. Sure. Um, what a place to get your training. Uh, I mean, that, that had to be so cool. Yeah, it was. That's great. And so what's next for you? What's the, what's the next uh, evolution, I guess, for Ronika Carter? You know, only time will tell. Um, I am in the process of expanding my business and working on that and a couple of other projects. And so, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. Um, and my goal is just to continue to grow and expand and develop skills and knowledge and just pursue this path that makes me happy. So however I need to get there, so be it. I'll take my own advice and be stubborn about the goal, but flexible about the means to achieve them. I think that's a great quote. You know, that's good advice right there. And as you expand your practice, is there a, a niche, a uh, particular sector or sports or, you know, area of the sport that you're pursuing? Like what, what's, uh, if you had to laser in on something, what would it be if everything could go smoothly? Ooh, that's a really good question. And I'm not yet disclosing all of the details of what I'm working on, okay. um, but definitely some more athlete interaction. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What would, um, I assume that obviously not a sports agent, but you've had some of those interactions before. How do people break into that market? Because I know that's something that I've spoken to uh, a lot of young professionals that have had that passion, even as a financial advisor that, that hope to um, maybe not be a sports agent, but be an advisor to athletes. Uh, what's, what's the in there? What's maybe that kind of the separation factor that has allowed some people to go that route? I think a lot of it has to do with networking and making those connections. So for me, you know, I made connections very early on with people who were advising in different roles, and that's helped a lot. And 
a great way to get your foot in the door is just volunteering, you know, and asking. There were a couple of times where I had an opportunity that wasn't readily available on the website or it wasn't posted, but I was willing to reach out and just ask if I could volunteer, if I could help, you know, even if it was an unpaid internship at the time. And so just kind of having that perseverance and that willingness to, you know, get your hands dirty and reach out and volunteer, I think it's invaluable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you've got to pay your dues sometimes for sure. Absolutely. And so anything else, um, you know, that you want to share with our listeners in respect to kind of your world and what you're doing right now in this very unique year? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I guess if I could leave listeners with anything, I hope that I would just inspire them to pursue their passions, whatever that is, you know, despite oppositions, despite challenges along the way, pursue your passion because your dreams can come true. And I think the fact that we're having this conversation right now is evidence that it's working for you and it's also working for me. So start small if you have to, you know, begin building those skills, however you have to do it, but just don't give up on that dream. I like it. I like it. And so if we could finish here, I know one of the favorite segments for a lot of our listeners is our lightning round. Uh, where we just get to know a little bit more about our guests and we fire through some quick questions uh, and then you could respond with whatever first comes to mind. Um, so if you're okay with that, uh, we could dive right into our final segment, which is our lightning round. Sound good? Sure, let's do it. Sounds awesome. Good. So first up, what is your favorite book? The Bible. The Bible. Okay, terrific. And maybe it's from there, maybe it's not, but what would be your favorite quote to live by? Oh gosh, there are so many. <laughs> Do I have to pick just one? I guess which whichever you could think of that uh, that maybe came first to mind. Well, it's actually a scripture reference, so I'll leave them with the scripture reference, and they can look it up. It's Isaiah forty-one ten. Isaiah forty-one ten. Okay. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. And what's your all-time favorite movie? Coming to America. Coming to America. Okay, that's a great one. (laughs) And uh, who was your hero growing up? My mother. And she still is. Awesome. Very cool. And when you were a kid, did you have a dream job? And if so, what was it? Where did you envision yourself? When I was a kid, my dream job was becoming an attorney. (laughs) interestingly no <laughs> enough um so thankfully it worked out <laughs> okay cool i think you're pretty unique we're not playing cops and robbers or trying to be the pro baseball player <laughs> <laughs> and uh what was uh maybe your favorite vacation or destination that you've been to probably paris i really enjoyed my time there okay i've never been I've been to Europe. I studied abroad there, but I have not been to Paris yet. Oh, where'd you study? I studied in Prague, which is, uh, you know, in the Czech Republic, it was kind of right in the heart of Europe and just a train ride away from everywhere, but I never went to France. Okay. So that'll be, uh, that's still on the to-do list. And I know you mentioned your mom was your hero growing up. Did you have a, uh, a mentor that had a particular impact on you, whether it was through sports, a coach, or... Uh, professionally, anybody that really helped you get to that next level? Professionally, I've had some great mentors, um, former colleagues, and some of them are different industries or what have you, and people I just kind of reached out to for advice. 
Um, but there's one in particular who I used to work with. And, you know, from the moment I met her, I just admired her because I could tell she was incredibly intelligent, but she was also very humble. And she was, she just gave off the sense that, you know, she was someone you could trust and you could also pattern your career after because she was making a conscious effort to do the right things. And to this day, we keep in touch and I reach out to her for advice on a regular basis. She's just, she's just someone who stood out for me. Okay, good. Excuse me. And then as a a bit of a financial show here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what would you say has been your best financial move or, or investment that you've made along the way? 100% 100% uh, for me, it's been being very conscious about saving and planning for the future. Um, and so I find that, at least, you know, from my own personal perspective, um, being conscious about saving yielded returns that I don't think I could have envisioned a, a few years ago. You know, when I first got out of college and I was thinking about, you know, my salary, I wasn't as conscious about saving. And I would think, oh, of course, I'll save something. But when I changed my perspective about money management and budgeting and decided to be very conscious about saving, I mean, the results were just mind blowing. So if I could leave anyone with anything, it's just be very conscious about saving and planning for the future. Yep. Yeah. It's never too early to start. And then on the flip side, what would you say is probably the worst financial move that you made? Any big mistakes that you wished you didn't do uh, throughout your career? I really wish I hadn't started my career without having a firm grasp of budgeting and just like conscious budgeting. Um, I think for a lot of people, when you graduate, you start earning that salary and, you know, you just feel like you make a lot of small expenditures and they don't add up too much, but they actually do. And so I just kind of wish I had started my career with the mindset of money that I have now. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty much the exact opposite (laughs) just to get the jump. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's very true though. I, I speak about that every day with clients. So anything else uh, that you'd like to, to kind of say as we uh, sign off here, or can you just tell our listeners if they want to learn more, maybe where they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. So if they'd like to learn more, they can reach me on my Instagram page at piercing underscore the underscore playbook for my blog or on our website at resolute M- com. Just scroll all the way to the bottom and fill out the contact form and I'll be in touch soon. I'm also available on LinkedIn, um, Renika J. Carter Esquire, and I'm always open to new connections. Okay, terrific. And I'm sure everybody will definitely want to learn more. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Renika. I know we covered a lot of different areas and I think it was pretty cool to talk about sports and, you know, this is, this is a unique time that we'll be uh, studying in the history books decades from now for sure so oh, thank you again yep and uh we'll Great. certainly thank be you in for touch. having me yeah my pleasure sounds good thank you. and ladies and gentlemen thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast i'm your host brian Kaderna, and today we've had the pleasure of listening to ronika carter we'll see you next week Ryan Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Pass, OSJ 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through Pass, member FINRA SIPC. 
Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kajurna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number OK04194. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Coderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. Approval number 2021-123033, expiration date 6-2023.